You found your way back to Making Sense of Pets, the podcast. We're your hosts, veterinary technicians Angela Ilya, Ryan Frazier, and I'm Becky Mosser. And today we have a very special guest. In fact, our very first guest ever on the podcast. We're very excited to be welcoming a wonderfully brilliant veterinary technician who is also a veterinary technician specialist in the dental area. This month is Dental Health Month. And so we're very excited to have an expert here to talk to you today more about your pet's teeth. Welcome, Miss Benita Altier. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I didn't even know I was your very, very first guest. So very I'm, first I'm so honored <laughs> on this <laughs> on this first day of February in 2020. That's right. That's right. And it is early for you. You're coming into us from the West Coast bright and early because you are that excited to talk about teeth. You know, I do often get up this early or even earlier to talk about teeth. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to do it. <laughs> Well, it's a true passion of yours, but I'm excited to do this podcast um, because, again, it is Dental Health Month. Uh, but, you know, I think we all would agree, you know, dental health is is highly undervalued um, and maybe underutilized in the veterinary industry. I think people have a lot of questions about it, and we're here, you know, for you today. So, first of all, tell me, what's your elevator pitch? Just give me that overall. Why should people listen and care? Like, what is up with pet's teeth that's so important? Oh, certainly. As as soon as uh, someone realizes that I'm a veterinary professional and they want to know what I do and I tell them I'm a specialist in dentistry, then, you know, the questions start coming out. And the main thing I tell people is that, you know, dental health is extremely important and it starts at a really early age and something that has to continue throughout the pet's life. So we talk about, you know, what does that mean? And I say, you know, I have all my fingers. We don't do dentistry on awake patients. You know, this is something that has to be fully explored under anesthesia. And sometimes anesthesia can be scary, but uh, we know how to do it very safely. And uh, we're very, very good at what we do. And it's extremely important that we do it that way. I think that is a a huge thing that's coming up right now is anesthesia-free dentistry, um, kind of as you were saying. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and why it's not a good thing? Oh, absolutely. Well, the number one thing that needs to be done when we do dental uh, procedures on pets is we have to fully examine the oral cavity, including full mouth dental radiographs. And, you know, if we don't explore that, we cannot actually address disease that's most likely present. And, the bone around the tooth is is often affected by disease that causes destruction of bone and the ligament that holds the the tooth in the socket, you know. So if we cannot take our dental x-rays, which we could never do on an awake patient, they have to be completely asleep, uh, we're really doing a disservice to the patient. And then on top of that, you know, if if we're ever taking sharp instruments or ultrasonic scalers in the mouth of a patient that's awake, we're inducing a lot of fear in that patient and putting them at risk for injury. And we're also putting ourselves at risk for injury as well, because when a fearful animal uh, is going to react, you know, they might freeze or they might bite us and, you know, really hurt us. And, and that would never be a good thing for us or them. And and I know being a vet tech, I, I took an oath to reduce fear in my patients and something we talk a lot about with the fear-free movement in our practices. Um, I think this completely uh, goes against anything that we stand for in regards to that, that kind of thing. You know, I, I find it interesting and important um, to talk about the anesthesia-free 
um, movement because a lot of people are afraid of anesthesia as um, their pets age. And I always try to help people understand. I always use the terminology of age is not a diagnosis, right? Good medicine um, that is happening for our patients, anesthesia is still very safe and sort of like to your point, safer than not doing it, right? Well, yeah, you know, anesthesia has come a long way. I've been a veterinary technician for 32 years almost. And, you know, what we did back 32 years ago is not the same as what we do now. And we certainly have our top priority is to make sure the patient thrives under uh, general anesthesia, is doing very well. We have people that are dedicated to monitoring the patient, just like if you were going to a human hospital and having a surgical procedure done or something under general anesthesia. We, we have those types of measures that we take with trained people and monitoring equipment and things to make sure the pet stays warm and make sure that their blood pressure is normal and monitoring all their vital signs. And all those things are really important and something that we do is just a matter of of fact. You know, we do it with every single patient every time. And it's important the clients understand that we're, we're putting a top priority on those kinds of things and making sure that their pet recovers well and Also, if we start doing these procedures early in life, when the pet is at least risk for any anesthetic complications or is most likely um, not suffering from some other uh, disease or or illness or process that could complicate anesthesia, we can keep the pet's mouth mouth healthy, you know, their whole entire life rather than waiting until they're old and, and maybe have some other issues that would make anesthesia more complicated, but not necessarily cause us not to want to take care of the teeth under anesthesia. It, it would have to be pretty bad before we couldn't manage that kind of thing so we can keep their mouth free of pain because we don't want them to be in pain. One thing you had mentioned, and every time I go to the dentist myself, they do dental x-rays. Can you tell us a little bit about dental x-rays with pets? Oh, absolutely. So, um, you know, about 2001, we got dental x-rays in the practice that I was working in. And it was just amazing what we didn't know when we weren't taking dental x-rays. And there's still hospitals in the United States today that still do not have dental x-ray even available in their hospital, which is such a shame. Um, We cannot really practice dentistry without it because I don't know about you guys, but I did not get x-ray vision with my education. It wasn't part of the deal. And so, you know, we can't just look with our eyes and know everything's okay. So we we start at the back of the mouth, work our way around the front of the mouth to the back of the mouth and back around. Dogs have 42 teeth, and that's a lot of areas of bone to look around. And with cats, they have 30 adult teeth. And, and again, we got to look at all the bones surrounding those tooth roots. The roots as well, things can happen with the roots, but often we're dealing with things going on with infection around the bone. So that process takes about 20 minutes for many people um, that are pretty skilled at it, could be faster, but it's an extremely important first step to diagnosing dental diseases and making sure that we understand what we need to treat. Um, It's it's 100% not about just cleaning the teeth. It's really about diagnosing and making sure that we make the animal feel better. And um, sometimes they need extractions, you know, and we're going to be doing dental radiographs 
before we do any extractions and in, in the middle of doing extractions if there's any issues um, with broken roots or anything. And then we want a, a post-op radiograph to make sure that when we we're done, everything is, is perfect and uh, we've got proof of that on our dental x-rays. You know, I work with um, a company called Base Paws. We do a program called Coach My Cat. And I have a client who has a cat that went to the dentist the other day because they were worried about one tooth, um, kind of was worried about a resorptive lesion. And these are really common in the feline mouth. Um, and they were wanting to keep an eye on it. So they did sedation and did full mouth radiographs, which, um, you know, most people know as x-rays, right? So it's the same thing your dentist is doing to you when they put that little board in your mouth and tell you bite down and then shoot the little gun at your head, right? It's the same procedure for our pets. Well, they ended up finding eight resorptive lesions. She had eight teeth extracted instead of just the one that was visual without anesthesia. And so I think it just kind of plays such an important example in how important full mouth dental radiographs or x-rays are for our pets because there is so much going on underneath the gum that we can't see. And for the same reasons your your dentist is doing these radiographs, we need to do these for our pets. I can only think about how uncomfortable this kitty might have been or become with eight resorptive lesions under the under the gums as opposed to just the one that they saw. So it's it there really is just I mean, you can't put enough emphasis, I think, on the ability to see what's going on under the gum, especially because our pets can't talk to us, right? Like they can't tell us that they're in pain. Um, one thing I want to ask you to elaborate on for us, Benita, is what's the difference between the teeth and the gums of our pets? Like how similar are they to ours? How similar is the pain systems? How much should we be relating? Because I think it, it makes sense to me that oral care would be really obvious to people because we go to the dentist twice a year. But at the same time, um, and that's with us brushing our teeth, right? But I find so many clients who just don't understand how important it is. Oh, absolutely. I think it's important to understand that, you know, our animals don't show pain in the same way a person would, nor can they actually vocalize or verbalize their pain um, to us to make us understand that they need help. And um, a lot of people uh, think that, you know, if a pet has dental pain, that it'll probably cause them to stop eating or they'll have some outward sign that's just going to be like a flashing red light that, hey, I need to go to the dentist, you know, but that's not true at all. Um, eating is a survival instinct in animals and they'll never stop eating until they'd rather die than eat. And I think that's really important that you understand that, you know, they're going to eat. It might not be the way that they would have eaten if they didn't have dental pain. You know, they might be eating slower. They might be kind of holding out for the canned food. They might be just chewing on one side of their mouth. They might be dropping some kibble every once in a while and not being quite as efficient with their eating. But it's very rare that a pet's going to stop eating. It's very rare that they're going to lose weight um, just because of a dental issue. 
there are a couple of issues that can be excruciatingly painful enough that an animal will stop eating. Again, they feel like they'd rather die than eat. And usually that's going to be um, some sort of cancerous or growth in the mouth that's kind of obstructing their ability to eat properly and causing them a lot of pain or a condition that we call uh, stomatitis or it's going to be kind of like the worst sunburn you could ever imagine infected inside your mouth. Um, that particular condition that kind of involves the animal's immune system overreaction to the bacteria in their mouth um, that's on their teeth all the time. You know, it's, it's thankfully fairly a rare occurrence, but that's the only two times I've ever seen an animal be reluctant to eat or, or even stop eating uh, due to something going on like that inside the mouth, but not because of dental disease um, like what we would think of dental disease. So I just have a question too. I know we talked about um, some x-rays and we talked about a little bit about cleaning um, and extractions, which of course is like removing the whole tooth. But what are some other um, things, you know, there's a multitude of things us as humans can have done to our teeth, like root canals and crowns and braces and all this stuff. Um, what kind of cool things, if any, um, do you get to do to pets besides, um, you know, x-rays and extractions? Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot that goes between, you know, healthy mouth and let's extract all the teeth. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, the public isn't really aware of this, but I think that we, we really have a lot of procedural things we can do to save teeth as long as they're good candidates for saving. Um, you know, if, if we haven't done any dental care on a pet and now the pet's 10 years old and the teeth have so much bone loss and infection around them, we have no choice but to extract. But if we were able to keep up with dental care along the way and we had some teeth that were maybe affected with some bone loss but not, you know, uh, greater than half the tooth is affected with bone loss around it, the socket's still there to some degree and we don't have mobility or wiggly teeth going on, um, things like that. We can do what's called periodontal therapy, which means perios around, daunt means the tooth. So those that word is, is basically pretty simple. We're just treating the structures around the tooth to try to get some reattachment of the little fibers that hold the tooth in the socket, as well as maybe even being able to kind of backfill some of the bony areas so we get a little bit better socket for the tooth to live in. But unfortunately, we can never make the bone come back to the height that it was before it was destroyed by the periodontal disease process. So uh, I think that's important to note. Prevention is key. And it certainly is something if we're trying to do some heroic measures to save teeth that the client has to be committed to doing daily home care like brushing the teeth, uh, dental diets and chews, things that we add to the waters. Um, more frequently, we have to anesthetize the patients more often. So every three months for a while, maybe every six months for a while, maybe every nine months for a while. So we have to have two things, a financial commitment by the client, by you, um, that this is something you want to do because we cannot just do our magic procedure and then send the pet home and not see them for a year. That's probably going to cause the procedure to fail. And they have to be committed to home care. And the patient has to be a good candidate for that more frequent anesthetic visit. So if they're suffering from 
some really debilitating uh, disease or heart condition or something that would make them a poor anesthetic candidate or they've proven that they, they don't do well under anesthesia or don't do well during recovery, then probably be smartest and best for that patient just to extract that tooth. And then if dogs break teeth, um, this happens to cats sometimes with their canine teeth um, as well. Dogs tend to chew on things that are too hard, and so we, we see broken teeth. Um, certainly that tooth does not necessarily need to end up in the garbage can, right, or under the, the pillow for the tooth fairy to come. <laughs> we really like to save those teeth for their function, especially if there's big, important tooth like a canine or one of their chewing teeth in the back. So we can actually do a root canal procedure just like you would on a person. On occasion, it's best to support that tooth with a metal crown so they look like they have a really a really shiny grill. Um, but, but really it's for um, making sure that the, the, the outside of the tooth is a little sturdier because um, especially working dogs or dogs that, that need those canine teeth for their job, you know, they, they could be pretty hard on those teeth. And, and once the tooth has been broken, it's never going to be as strong as it was before that happened, which kind of leads me into, you know, not giving your dog something that they could break their teeth on in the first place. So um, we could kind of talk about that too, if, if you want. Yeah, I have a couple of questions for you. So I have uh, my 18-year-old Beagle who has heart issues, so can't have anesthesia anymore. Um, and then I also have a one-year-old healer that I want to make sure that he has good dental health for the long term. So what would be your recommendations for products that I could use at home or when should I work on I've, the one-year-old already had a dental exam by a veterinary dentist just because I worked with one. Um, but what what would you recommend for me to do? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for your older dog, I think, you know, just a gold standard is always brushing the teeth, you know, removal of plaque on a daily basis. And I'm not sure if that's something that you've tried over the years or not, but it's something that is really going to help uh, protect the mouth from, you know, that constant invasion of bacteria that can eventually undermine the the gum tissue and cause that bone loss and infection we talked about. And, you know, sometimes that's a little daunting task, but we like to start slowly with just introducing some yummy tasting toothpaste, you know, something that they like. Um, just getting that toothpaste in their mouth can help. There's actually this thing called the Veterinary Oral Health Council. It's the VOHC.org, and it's great for pet owners to visit this website because um, it does really kind of highlight the home care portion of what we do in regards to professional dentistry. And it goes over certain products that actually have their seal of approval. So it's, it's like the American Dental Association in regards to that. The Veterinary Oral Health Council has a special seal and uh, companies that submit their products for testing through third parties submit those results to the council and the council evaluates the results of the testing and if approved the products get that seal and that means that they either are good at preventing plaque tartar or both and if they they're used properly so each product has its own specific indication or use whether it's a food, a chew, a water additive, or there's a pet toothpaste on there called Pet Smile. It's the only toothpaste on there, and its proprietary ingredients are supposed to help really prevent the formation of that plaque and tartar on the tooth surface. Even if you don't 
really get in there and brush a lot. So that could be something that you could try. Um, and kind of a combination of all those different kinds of products kind of can equal the best results. If he has to be on a special diet, you know, it certainly could be something that we um, can't give him a tartar control food because of a, another dietary concern, but you could certainly pick some other products off of the list. And there's a PDF for dog products. There's a PDF for cat products. So you can kind of check out those PDF lists and kind of see what you think might be the best for your pet. Yeah. Yeah, and then Thank for your you. younger dog, you know, I'm really thrilled to hear that he already had his first core dental procedure, and I recommend doing that, if not at the time of spay and neuter, but actually about a year later at 18 months, and that's when we set a baseline. We're, we're getting a lay of the land, we're looking at the tooth roots, we're making sure everything developed normally, they're not extra teeth that are still embedded in the bone, which could cause a really bad problem um, destroying bone in that localized area so um, setting that baseline is important and now all you got to do is just you know in between professional dental care under anesthesia brush the teeth and and kind of explore items on the BOHC list that you think you can do when you're talking about toothpaste um, it it's correct that you should use a veterinary only or cat or dog only toothpaste and not human toothpaste correct Oh yeah, great question. I think this is really important because human toothpaste have surfactants. That's why they get all foamy and also they contain fluoride. And you know, our, our pets are not gonna rinse and spit and that kind of thing. So these toothpastes are specially made for pets. They're, they're formulated to be swallowed. And uh, if, if necessary, you know, they're going to be um, flavors like beef or chicken or things that we probably wouldn't consider very yummy for toothpaste flavors. So yeah, make sure you buy pet specific <laughs> toothpaste and you can try different ones and find out which one your pet begs for because that's the one you're going to want to use. So I just want to know, like, so you've, you know, you've convinced all these, all of our listeners, they're going to run into their primary care doctor and they're going to want um, all the best dental care for their pets. But I feel like maybe some people may be a little hesitant on the aftercare aspects. So um, can you just briefly talk about maybe what I could expect as a pet owner um, after my dog gets like, or my cat gets a general prophylactic um kind of treatment or uh, some extractions? Like, is it a lot of work for a pet owner to do this like post-operative care for their pets? Because I feel like sometimes, um, you know, owners get overwhelmed even at the idea of aftercare for some procedures. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, my, my goal here would be definitely to encourage everyone to do the preventative care and start early in life and do it often. Uh, which is usually going to be what I mentioned before, you know, we need to have that first baseline of our core dental procedure, which core means comprehensive oral and radiographic evaluation. And the dental procedure on top of that, you know, is just going to be uh, what we would think about cleaning the teeth. So if it's just a core dental procedure and they're recovering from that, I doubt that even, you know, more than 24 hours after the procedure, you would actually notice your pet acting differently at all. The first night, they're going to be a little sleepy, um, which is good. It's always good to, you know, be relaxed and sleepy. And that's just from the medications we give them that are kind of calming and have 
some pain medications in there and and just going under anesthesia and and we'll usually tell you to um, introduce food slowly and not give them a big meal all at once and and just kind of let them sleep it off you know and so the next day they're probably gonna act like nothing happened and they're gonna have sparkly white teeth and and we'd want you to start the toothbrushing introduction you know fairly soon after that because bacteria gets back on the teeth very quickly within hours of us cleaning the teeth so if everything was good then recovery is really simple. If there were any extractions, then we're usually going to be sending home some sort of pain medications because initially we're going to do local blocks, which is just like when you go to the dentist and they have to fill a cavity or they have to do something that's going to be possibly painful. Even though the pet's under general anesthesia, we do local anesthesia as well because that blocks pain at the source. And that really helps us to make sure that um, when they wake up, they're not uncomfortable. And when they go home, that should still be there for them. The blocks last about eight hours or so if done properly. And sometimes we'll even add an extra medication in with the blocks that'll make them last longer. And then from there, we can actually have you give pain meds at home. So it's usually something you'll give once or twice a day. And I think it's really important that they get their meds on time. We don't use antibiotics very much because uh, really we are kind of worried about bacterial resistance to our antibiotics and often that's completely unnecessary because your pet's body will actually clear the bacteria once we've got the mouth cleaned and we've extracted the teeth that are really infected. I think it's important to understand that they don't always need antibiotics for that. It's something their body is very, very capable of dealing with and, and it's best to kind of leave it at that. Based on your veterinarian's recommendations, there could be some antibiotics, especially if your pet suffers from some other uh, illness with their organ function or something like that. They certainly might choose to use some antibiotics. And then on top of that, you know, we're going to be having you watch your pet a little more closely. They're usually going to have some sutures in their mouth that will dissolve over time. We always have them come back for a follow-up visit at the hospital. So uh, 10 days or so later, we'll have them come back in. We're going to be uh, looking in the mouth, just visually inspecting the sur surgery sites and making sure the sutures are kind of dissolving and that the gums look really healthy now. And and the breath is going to be better and, and there's no bleeding or any open areas that have have come apart where the sutures were. So we're just going to check all those things. And as long as all those things are good, then that's when we're going to go ahead and teach you how to use the toothbrush and the toothpaste and the dental products that are on that VOHC list. Um, we do tell you that, you know, to watch for any kind of complications and give you phone numbers and resources, wh where to call, who to get a hold of if you notice that your pet doesn't seem to be snapping back pretty quickly after the procedure and wanting to eat and drink and go to the bathroom and, and things like that. So, um, and signs of pain, we go over that too because it's really important. We assess pain in the hospital. We want you to understand how to do that as well. So we'll explain signs of pain so that you could better recognize pain um, so that if the pain medication protocols that we've sent home with you aren't necessarily covering it, we could kind of address adding some additional pain medication or have them come back into the hospital and have us reassess them to make sure that they, they don't have any other issues going on that are unexpected. But 
Thankfully, those occurrences are really rare, um, something that doesn't you know, happen very often at all. And in most pets, it's pretty amazing. They don't know what we did while they were asleep, and they just bounce back and just want to play and do their normal stuff and, and often feel much better than before you know, they were anesthetized in the first place. I want to revisit something you did bring up a little bit earlier, though, and, and touched on is what to chew and what to not chew. This is now listen, people are going to get mad here, right? They want to give their pets a lot of things that you guys that are the experts are not recommending. Yeah, you know, I actually wrote an article it's called a tooth destroyers. Um, because I'm, I'm really passionate about this. You know, I, I, uh, I always tell people, you know, we we really don't want to see broken teeth. Um, that's extremely painful to pet and it on, honestly doesn't go recognized for months to years sometimes and the tooth dies and it can get really infected and, and cause a, a huge amount of destruction. And so we can prevent all that that kind of thing from happening. And then also, things that wear the tooth down so uh, certain things will scrub the enamel away very quickly and dog enamel is way thinner than people enamel and so once the enamel has gone it's never going to come back and then that layer below it is called dentin and it's softer and that scrubs away even faster so the things that really abrade teeth are going to be things like tennis balls. The fabric on the outside is extremely abrasive. And, you know, I don't want to take any dog's joy away from being able to chase a ball, but let's just pick a ball that does not have that fabric on the outside. Um, you have to have something that's smoother, that's softer to the tooth surface. Because um, the tennis ball fabric played with outdoors can even pick up sand, which makes it even more abrasive. And if the dog is a young dog, um, the pulp, which is the blood and nerve supply in the tooth, is very close to the surface. As the tooth matures, the, the pulp kind of recedes. But the problem is, is that you could have uh, very quickly open bleeding teeth. And when that happens, then we have to go see the board of dentists for a very expensive procedure called vital pulp therapy. And uh, it really isn't inexpensive and it's something that your pet uh, does not have to go through if you just please avoid giving tennis balls so that's kind of enemy tooth enemy number one um, tooth enemy number two is giving your dog something to chew on that's really hard something that's the everlasting chew toy um, that you think your big dog can't break um, the teeth are weaker than the objects so things like bones antlers cow hooves um, bully sticks I've seen all those things break lots and lots and lots of teeth and you know they're sold up front in the pet store and you go into the pet store and you're like wow this looks really cool it's expensive so it must be better and it'll last for a long time so it's worth the investment but not good you know and and one of my board of dentist friends actually approached a, a manager of a pet store and told him, hey, you're selling all these things that, that break teeth. You know, dogs break teeth all the time, and I'm a veterinary dentist, and, you know, I, I wind up having to repair these teeth. And, and his answer, unfortunately, well, isn't that good for your business, uh, was not actually the answer Ouch. we like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, that might sound kind of shocking, but I'm telling you, the pet stores, you know, they stock their products of what's flying off their shelves. And, and if you think, you know, giving your dog these things is, is making your dog happy, um, I understand that because they have something fun to chew on. But it certainly is going to be extremely risky um, in regards to their dental health. And, and there's definitely things that are safer, but they're usually edible 
They don't last very long. Um, you know, they have to be softer than the tooth. They have to bend. You have to be able to kind of dent them with your fingernail in order for them to be safe. So um, we don't want tooth destroyers. Um, that does not make us dental people happy. Um, we hate seeing broken teeth. It's, it's a lot of work. A root canal procedure on a tooth like that might be a couple of thousand dollars and and you know it's, it takes a board of dentists to be able to perform that so I, I don't think that the the bone at the store is is worth that kind of uh, investment and the only other option if a tooth breaks into the pulp is extraction and again I don't I don't think we really want to put teeth in the in the trash can or under the pillow so you know, I want to like pull apart everything you just said a little bit more because it was incredibly salient. So the first thing is that I really want to shine light on and bring emphasis to is the fact that, you know, just because it is sold in stores does not make it safe. Like we are so accustomed to regulatory um, in place in the human side where you can sell things in stores that are not safe and they will otherwise be recalled that I think we naturally transition this mentally as the standard within the pet industry, and it truly isn't. So when you give your pets things like animal hooves, um, you know, antlers, these other pieces of bone, right, like things to chew on that are as hard or harder than the tooth material itself, you really are putting the tooth at risk. And, and like you would never sit around and chew on a bone. Like you would, you would know better than that. But we regularly give them to our, our pets. And I think that's incredibly important point to, to emphasize. The other thing that you said that I think is super important um, is that you, you know, we shouldn't just be pulling teeth out if we don't have to. And that it takes a board certified dentist to um, or a board certified, you know, dental surgeon to do these procedures. And so I kind of wanted to just talk about that for one quick second. There are several lever levels of professionals. So can you kind of help us understand like what's appropriate in general practice for dental care um, and dental procedure? Um, and then the higher level, where should we be going for specialty care? What does that look like? And who are the people involved? Absolutely. Would you care if I digressed back to the, the, chewing on bones thing for just a second. No, not at all. It's clearly the theme. Like just like. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to make one point because I know, you know, a lot of, of uh, people, pet owners out there in the world think, oh, well, you know, wild animals chew on bones and, and, you know, why wouldn't that be okay for my dog to chew on bones? So a, a couple of things to point out is that a lot of wild dogs and other animals that, that eat are carnivores have broken teeth. So in the wild, there are a lot of animals with broken teeth out there. And second to that, you know, those animals are eating uh, these other animals for survival. They don't just sit around because they're bored and chew on bones. And also these animals are freshly killed. So these bones aren't dried and baked and, and they, they would never chew on antlers in the wild. They don't, they don't sit around bored doing these things, you know. So right. I think that's really important to understand is that when you try yeah. to think of, oh, well, these animals are like, they were wild at some point in their, their uh, lineage, you know, and, and that satisfies the need for them to do these things, you know, with their instincts. Um, I think we do have to really kind of bring that comparison back to help people understand regards of, you know, hey, wild animals have a lot of broken teeth. And if they have a broken tooth that gets infected, they might perish out in the wild, you know. Hopefully, luckily for us, you know, if, if something happens to our pet, we can take them to the the professionals and then kind of coming back to your question about the roles out there. One thing I'd like to say is that in veterinary school, veterinarians do not learn how to be dentists. 
So this is extremely important. And in veterinary technician school, we do not learn how to be a, a, a dental hygienist um, to any kind of extent. So it's important that you really research where you're taking your pet for their routine dental care. Find out more about what they know what kind of education they've got outside of their uh, professional education. Um, getting their doctorate in veterinary medicine does not make them a dentist. And, uh, you know, vet tech schools are kind of behind the bar right now in regards to being able to spend enough time to get the technical staff up to par with uh, dental skills. So we often teach these people after graduation the basics basically class 101 about dentistry and and kind of taking them from there to the next level just so that um, we can hopefully get them practicing the level of dentistry that I'm kind of talking about here. And then from that point forward, you know, if you're general practice veterinarian and technical staff are taking full mouth dental radiographs, they have the skills to interpret those x-rays, they are probably charting and, and uh, looking for clinical findings properly and they've got good techniques to provide the clinical things like extractions. Um, your veterinarian doesn't learn how to do that in, in vet school either so they have to go to labs and, and educational events after school um, and learn on the job so this is something important that everyone should know that you know this isn't a skill they're born with to be a dentist and to be good at oral surgery. It, it's quite the art skill there it has to be practiced thousands of times. And then, um, you know, they're, they're providing some periodontal therapy. Those kinds of things can be done in general practice. But if you're talking about advanced procedures that your pet may need, then it's really important to take them to a certified boarded veterinary dentist. Uh, that's someone that's spent an extra four years getting more education. They really, truly are dentists. And it's something that they are extremely knowledgeable on and can really address conditions that your general practice veterinarian probably cannot do. Also, they're going to be a lot more efficient. So if your pet has a heart condition, like Ryan was talking about his dog that has a heart condition, you know, a boarded dentist would be um, able to perform the needed procedures quicker, um, so that minimizes anesthesia time. And then also on top of that, you know, they could bring in an anesthesiologist, which is a specially trained veterinarian that focuses just on anesthesia, and they would be the most skilled at being able to um, keep your pet safe during the procedures, you know. So it's not very common that we will tell some cl a client that their pet cannot go under anesthesia because we need to do dentistry. It's important. Um, most of the time we can facilitate that by getting them in the right situation, either with a boarded dentist and having an anesthesiologist, depending on, you know, what kind of treatment they need. So, so that kind of helps set up the stage for the different professionals that might be out there. Um, I also have a specialty as a technician, and um, that's a special uh, field that I've studied long and hard over all the years, sat for a board exam. Um, I've been a specialist since 2008, so uh, there's 92 of us now in the world, so not a large group of us either, and uh, we do things like educate the professionals um, and work in dental practices, general practices. So um, we have a, just a higher level of education and knowledge and certification regarding that. 
Is there anything that we um, haven't covered that you want to talk about? You know, I think we really kind of hit the high points. I definitely wanted to emphasize how important it is to set a baseline, which is the first core dental procedure. If not at six months of age, then again at 18 months of age and then annual basis throughout the pet's life. Um, we talked a lot about home care. We talked about uh, recovery from that uh, procedure. We talked about the tooth destroyers, which I think is important, um, and kind of the fears of anesthesia. So radiographs, how important they are. So, yeah, I think that's kind of like the high points of things I would really emphasize, you know, and, and the way I've been talking to you all is the way I would be talking to any client um, out there, um, you know, everybody's pretty unaware of, of what's going on. So, um, you know, I believe this is extremely important and something that needs to be discussed. That new puppy and kitten comes in the door. Um, pediatric dentistry or young patients have a lot of problems between losing their baby teeth and getting their adult teeth. So that formative time right there is something I guess we didn't talk about, but that's a really important time. Somebody needs to really pay attention to make sure that everything's going right with that. It happens so quickly between four and six months of age that they lose their baby teeth and get their adult teeth. So uh, make sure your vet is checking during that point of time and make sure that if there's any baby teeth that are remaining too long, that they're advocating for getting those out. Make sure that the mouth closure is fine because sometimes teeth are poking into the roof of their mouth and that's extremely painful or they can't close their mouth properly because there's some tooth that's hitting another tooth where it's not supposed to. So um, that's another area too that I think is really underserved and, and our patients aren't really examined well enough between four and six months of age because they're no longer coming in for vaccines. So in my hospital, we would have them come back in every three weeks during that time for dental checkups and, and make sure if they were at risk, one of the breeds with the squishy faces, you know, I always tell people, your cute little Yorkie has just as many teeth as a German Shepherd, but they're not going to all fit in there, you know, so mm -hmm. we really have to pay attention to that turnover from baby teeth to adult teeth and make sure that that goes okay. So what I've really learned here listening to you is that we are, the pet owner is the one that's going to be advocating for your pet. So there's a lot of good questions to ask before you jump into a dental procedure with your vet. So things like, uh, does your vet clinic have dental radiographs? Who's the one that's doing the extractions? Um, and I know that you guys have, um, with your association that you're in, um, they have an opinion on if technicians should be doing um, extractions or not. But then also, who's monitoring anesthesia when the patient is under anesthesia, or under anesthesia for the dental procedure? Oh, absolutely. I think as a consumer out there, you always have to advocate for yourself and the pet that you're caring for, right? So you have to ask the right questions. And I love that, <clears throat> excuse me, that you said, you know, does your clinic have dental x-ray? But I would even take it a step further. Do you actually use it? Because there's some people that have it, but they never utilize that technology. They, they don't take the dental x-rays. It's not a routine practice for them. They, they take them when there's a complication or if disease is really obvious, they'll take one picture. So you want to make sure the hospital you go to, that full mouth set of x-rays is their standard of care. 
And yes, that costs money, but I'm telling you that's the most important part of this step of, of looking to see if disease is there because otherwise you're going to miss things. And your pet's going to go back home with the same pain that they came in with. They might have cleaner looking teeth, but they still have the infection or pain or tooth resorption like Becky was mentioning. And then on top of that, you know, as far as the extraction issue goes, you want a trained oral surgeon, someone that's actually licensed to do surgery because extractions are surgical in nature. We have to do things to get those big teeth out. People don't often appreciate that the roots of those teeth are so much longer than they are in people. They're huge. And so in order to get those teeth out, you actually have to do a surgical procedure. And something that, you know, your veterinarian should be performing versus a technician. Because in technical school, again, we don't even really learn how to take our dental x-rays properly or how to be a hygienist type of person. We definitely don't learn how to become oral surgeon surgeons. And so ask questions. You know, make sure that your veterinary team is a team and that there's a veterinarian and a technician and someone trained uh, technically to monitor the patient for anesthesia. You kind of need at least those three people working with the pet during the whole procedure. And I guess the last thing I want to talk about is sort of the umbrella importance of veterinary, you know, health in, in oral care because... What people have to understand is the connection between the mouth, the oral tissue, and every major organ system in the body, right? So we're talking about the health of your teeth, but this is really truly related to overall core health for our pets, right? This is healthy hearts, healthy kidneys, healthy organ systems, correct? Oh, yeah. I love that you said core health. I love that because <laughs> we talk a lot about core. And again, core for dentistry is comprehensive oral and radiographic evaluation, right? And then, of course, we're going to clean the teeth. <laughs> yeah. But the mouth is the gateway to the body, as you mentioned. When we start to get dental disease, we start to get the gums are really inflamed. And whenever the gums are inflamed, it causes an increased blood supply to those tissues because there's bacteria there, there's all the bacterial byproducts and everything that happens that causes the body to kind of mount a, a response. So the body kind of starts to become at war with the, the bacterial invasion there in the mouth when left unchecked, right? So if we didn't brush our teeth for several days, we'd start to get what's called gingivitis. Well, that inflammation actually kind of actually inadvertently lets the bacteria in to the bloodstream and the bloodstream is going to circulate throughout the whole entire body from the brain, you know, down to the, the little pinky toes. So we have to realize that any bacteria in the mouth um, is shed into the bloodstream and all organs are affected by that. So the kidneys, the liver, um, the spleen, the brain, Everywhere is affected by that. So it's important for the clients to understand, you know, that we definitely need to address oral oral care as part of wellness care. And that means that prevention is extremely important. Let's not let this get to the point where we have this bacterial shed uh, constantly happening. Every time we chew our food, bacteria is getting into our bloodstream. But if it's a fairly minimal bacterial shed or the bacteria isn't particularly a harmful type of bacteria, then our body can just kind of come in and take care of that. You know, we have special cells in our bloodstream uh, that can kind of just take care of that bacteria and, and kind of keep it from causing us to feel bad or, or cause organ damage or other harm. But 
one thing in particular people often mention like the heart valves you know the bacteria from the mouth actually gets deposited on the valves of the heart and we all know the heart is extremely important to our, our well-being right yeah. so um you know just thinking that through um all wellness care is important, but I think that dental care is extremely important just for those specific reasons of preventing, you know, the spread of infection throughout the body. And then, and then pain, you know, again, we really want to address pain and we don't really understand, um, again, you know, our animals aren't showing us the pain that they're in and it happens slowly too, because dental disease is often chronically changing. And so we wind up having a problem where the pet slowly declines and people think, oh, they're just getting old, they're slowing down, you know, they're just whatever. But then once we take care of their core dental procedure and any extractions or whatever they might need, we often see you coming back and telling us, hey, you know, he's acting like a puppy again. I had no idea. And so that to me is why dentistry is my, my, my thing because uh, I've done a lot of things in vet medicine, everything from birds of prey to horses and llama reproduction, canine reproduction, ophthalmology. You know, if you have a disgusting eye that's kind of hanging out there, somebody's going to take you to the vet. But, you know, if your teeth yeah. are looking nasty, probably there's a bad smell coming from your mouth, it might get ignored. You know, even if you go to the vet, it might not necessarily yeah. get addressed. So, Well, and that's exactly right there is one thing, the, almost I think the last thing I really wanted to emphasize on because – it is not normal to have quote unquote dog breath, right? And because we have this terminology, people are like, oh, you have dog breath. You're supposed to have bad breath. So um, I think it's really important that people understand that bad breath in your dog, your cat, any any of your pets is, is an indication or a suspicion for a, a dental um, disease or something that needs to be addressed in the mouth. Bad breath is not normal. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like... You know, I think most of us that have puppies or kittens at some point in life, you know, I just love the way their little breath smells, you know, puppy little breath. puppy breath. That's the best. Yes. Yeah. But then it should go to smelling like nothing, you know, it right. just like smells like nothing. And if there's any kind of odor, you know, that's probably a pretty deep seated infection going on somewhere in the mouth. And, and the, the mouth is really huge. And there's a lot of teeth in the back. You know, often people don't realize all those teeth that are way back there. So, uh, you know, just one rotten tooth back there could be causing a very, very foul smell to come from that mouth. Um, so it's something that we have to recognize with the pet under anesthesia. And uh, again, there's no substitute for that. We cannot do anything about that. If the pet's awake and and we're trying to look around in there, you know, even the best pet's not going to be able to give us a good look. Plus, it could be painful. So they're, they're going to shy away from us looking um, or poking at what might hurt. So it's important that we, we realize the the impact that could have on their well-being and how they feel and, and, and the bonuses they have no smell to their mouth there you know that you can have them sleeping in the bed with you and and you know you don't have to be nose blind to it I guess I love it that's exactly right oh Miss Benita there is so much great information from you I could talk to you all day oh, um, it's so important for our you know pets to have good oral health and, and you've answered so many questions that I think folks um you know they want to they want to know about their pet but we just don't always have the time to get to that in every veterinary visit so thank you so much for letting us pick your brain we want to see your pets mugs you can find us on our facebook page at making sense of pets you can find us at instagram on that address and you can email us if you have any questions at making sense of pets at gmail.com 
Uh, and lastly, you can visit our website at makingsenseofpets.com. That's right. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And Miss Benita, thank you again so much for helping us talk Dental Health Month. Absolutely. Thank you. Very much. Thank you.